Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Alrighty, good morning, Kaya. So, if you wouldn't mind turning with me to, to Luke chapter 7, uh, we're going to be camping out in verses 1 through 10, uh, and it's going to be a really good time. I'm really, really excited to dive in. Um, and so, if you wouldn't mind getting uh, positioned there, I'm going to read the passage out loud, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer, uh, and then we're going to see what God has for us, okay? Awesome. So, you guys there? No, you guys are... Come on, give it slow. Come on. Okay, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 says, Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he, this is Jesus, entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus... When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from home, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority. Having under me soldiers, I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And my servant do this, and he doeth this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Well, yeah, right? Um, before we, we dive in, uh, I actually want us to pray. And so if you can, with your neighbor, with your partner, uh, we've got a really, really dear sister, uh, Hannah, and her brother passed away. And I don't know if any of you guys have dealt with loss, uh, but it is, it's just hard, you know? And so we want to pray for comfort for her and for her family. Uh, we want to trust God uh, to, to use this for good. And that sounds like a crazy thing. Man, how could we use, like, how could he use death for good? Uh, but he has a plan, and he, he desires to use this in Hannah's life and, and, uh, and her family's life. And uh, he desires to, to use this body to love on a sister, right? And so let's just take time. Man, pray for me. Pray for this message that we could receive it. Uh, but let's pray for our sister, uh, because that's such devastating news to hear. And it's sobering, right? Uh, life is but a vapor. And so that should bring a desperacy with us. And so if you wouldn't mind, we're just going to take just a couple minutes quick. Uh, but let, let's pray. And then I'm just going to close this a prayer, and we're going to get into the message. Okay. Lord, we thank you so much um, 
man, for uh, putting us into this family uh, and to be surrounded by brothers and sisters, uh, man, that, that, that love us, to know Christ's love, Lord. Uh, we don't know in circumstances like this how to pray. Uh, we don't know what to do, uh, but, but our hearts are broken. Um, man, uh, we, most of us, we, we don't know Marshall personally, uh, but we know Hannah, and uh, we love her, and so our hearts are broken uh, for the situation, for her family, Lord, and we just beg for comfort, uh, for a peace that, that only you can provide, Lord, and Lord, we, we trust uh, you uh, to use this circumstance uh, and uh, to work it that, that, that God uh, gets glory out of it. Uh, Lord, we, we desire you to be glorified. And so this morning we get to, to get eyes on your word, uh, and your word has transformed my life, and uh, we've seen how it transforms the, the lives of other people. Even in this passage we see, uh, you know, just say a word and my servant will be healed, Lord. Help us to believe that. Uh, help us to, to desperately cling to, to your very words and trust it to do an amazing work in our lives and the people around us, Lord. Uh, we, we beg of you. Uh, we pray uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm super uh, excited to dive into to Luke chapter 7. Uh, some of my Bible study guys know uh, that this is maybe, if not my favorite, it's definitely one uh, of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. It's incredible. Uh, so this chapter is so special uh, because we get to see Jesus in action, right? This dude is shaking and moving and performing miracles, and it just gets you, like, it gets you pumped up, right? Like, we just saw, like, Jesus healed this Roman centurion's servant, and he wasn't even, like, anywhere close to him. He's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, you've got faith. I can just say a word, and he can be healed. Uh, in verses 11 through 18, uh, we see that Jesus brings a dead man back to life. And you guys aren't getting excited. Like, he brought a dead man back to life. What? Like, he brought a dead man back to life. Uh, verses 19 through 23, we see that, that John's disciples are coming up to Jesus, and they're like, yo, so is it, like, are you, are you really the Messiah? Like, are you who, like, John says you are? Like, like who are you? And Jesus is just like, just hang out with me for, for a day, and we'll, we'll see what happens. And so the disciples are just hanging out with Jesus, and then Jesus, he sees a blind man. He's like, cool, I'm going to heal him, right? <laughs> sees a deaf man. He's like, cool, let's heal him. Sees a leper. Cool, let, let's heal him. Seems a lame man. Cool, let, let's heal him. He sees more dead people. He's like, all right, let's, let's get up. Let's rise. Like crazy. And all the while, he's, he's preaching the gospel. And the, the disciples, obviously, like, yeah, this, this dude's the real deal, right? It's exciting. Uh, and then... Just the, the cherry on top, uh, verses 36 through, through 50, uh, we see one of the most incredible stories in all of Scripture. Uh, and it's a, a story uh, of incredible forgiveness and, and worship uh, of Jesus. And actually, that's where I thought I'd be camping out today. Uh, but as I, I dug into the passage, uh, I ended up here in, in the first half because it's just so good. And uh, guys, I, I would love to walk through you, like that whole, you know, this whole chapter with you. Like that would be uh, awesome to, to be able to do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I get giddy just talking about it. Um, 
but I think we're going to have a, a lot to dig in in just the, the first 10 verses uh, in Luke chapter 7. And so, if we strap in and hold tight, uh, we're going to dive into to verse number one, numero uno. And it says, Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And I'm going to pause there. And you're like, what? We're pausing here. We haven't even gotten to anything. What, what are we doing? Why are we pausing? And, and family, uh, this is our cue, right? Like, the guys in my Bible study know that I harp on this, you know, every time we meet. And that's that context is important, right? In the passage here, when it says, now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, the passage is begging us for context, right? It's saying, hey, provide context for, what, for what's about to happen. Uh, so we should be asking ourselves, well, what was he saying in the audience of the people, right? Like this, it's at the beginning of chapter 7, right? And, and this verse is clearly bridging the previous sermon, in chapter 6, to whatever exploits Jesus is about to do as he's strolling into to Capernaum in, in chapter 7. And so, you guys, it's begging us to, to provide context for what we're about to read, right? And so this is a drum that I will beat until the day I die, and that's the, the, the first rule of Bible study is what? Context. It's context. So, guys, let's be good Bible students today, and, and let's get some, some context, right? Uh, when I learned this, like, it's a really simple truth that, that context is important. Like, I'd be ha- hate to be taken out of context. You'd be hate to be taken out of context. Uh, but whenever I learned this, it transformed the Bible for me in ways that I can't explain. Because suddenly, I could study the Bible for myself, and it made sense, and it was exciting, right? And so, uh, what is Jesus saying in chapter 6? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a, that's a really great question. So in chapter 6, we see that Jesus is preaching uh, to a a great multitude of people in the plain. Uh, And guys, we could spend, again, all day in just what he's talking uh, to these people on the plain. Uh, But he's speaking uh, of conduct, right? He's telling them, he's instructing them on on how they should uh, conduct themselves, how how they should live their lives. And uh, one of the big things that he says is he instructs them uh, to love their enemies. Whoa. I say that so casually, but that's a huge concept, to love your enemy, someone that's against you, to, to, to love them. Uh, he, he instructs them to, to give to the poor and needy. He, he tells them to be merciful. He calls them out of hypocrisy, right? He says, hey, you know, before you go out trying to, to pull the moat from your brother, how about you pull that, that huge rod that's out of your own eye so you can see clearly to, to engage with your brother, right? And, uh, you know, uh, towards the end, uh, he, he rebukes them and says, hey, guys, I'm saying all of this, and yet you guys are calling me Lord. And, and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do the things that, that I'm instructing you, right? And then he gives this really beautiful illustration to the multitude. And he says that, that a man that hears my word and does it, he likens him to, to a man that builds his house on a rock. And you're like, oh, I've heard the story, I know the song. But he, he, he likens him to a man that builds his house on a rock. And the cool thing about building your house on a rock is it's a solid foundation. And so whenever those storms in life come down, it, it stands and withstands the, the storm. Uh, but then he, he goes in and he talks about these suckers that hear his word 
and, and that don't do it, right? He's like, these suckers, they build their house on no foundation, right? They, they build it on the earth. And, and what happens is whenever these storms come, the, those homes, they, they don't withstand the storm, right? They, they fall. And so this is a, a sobering content that, that Jesus is preaching to the people. And then right after that, he's just strolling right into Capernaum. And so this is where we find ourselves. Uh, but guys, it's so important to establish this context, right? And so what we should be doing right now is we should be filing what Jesus just taught in our mind and to see as we're moving through chapter 7 if there are any points of connection, if this speaks to any of the things that Jesus is about to do, right? We, we, we need to understand the context of what he's preaching as we see him. Like I said, I love this chapter because it's all about Jesus in action, the things that he's doing, the miracles he's performing, but we can't forget what he's teaching the, the whole while, right? And so let's dive in uh, to, to maybe what you guys would consider more meat. Uh, verses 2 through 5 says, And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. So it seems pretty straightforward, right? These Jews come and say, hey, Jesus, you should heal this man's servant because he's been good to us. It's like, oh, okay. It's pretty straightforward. But there's a lot going on here, even in just these you know, three verses. Um, and really at the center of it is this centurion, right? So this centurion, uh, his servant uh, is sick, whom he loves, and so he's desperate uh, for, for God to move in his life uh, because there's nothing that he can do. And so he's in this desperate situation, and he sends uh, the, the elder of the Jews uh, to find Jesus, that he might do something miraculously uh, to heal his servant, right? Clearly, he's heard the story of Jesus, right? The text literally says that when he, when he hears of Jesus, you know, uh, he, he begs, he besought the, the Jews. Uh, and so we see um, kind of uh, all this taking place. Uh, but again, understanding what's going on. So this is a centurion. And so a lot of you are saying, cool, centurion, century, I don't know, I can probably put some stuff together. But it's important to figure out who the centurion is. Like, what, what is a centurion? And a centurion would be uh, a professional, right? He's a professional officer in the Roman army. And, and a centurion would have command over at least 100, you know, a century of men. And at least, so we could look back into history and we could see that centurions many, many times were over much more than 100 men. Sometimes centurions were even over other centurions that had at least 100 men over them, right? Uh, but the, the point here is that this would be uh, a pretty prestigious title, right? Uh, this isn't a title that they just throw out, and it would come with certain social, political benefits, right? We could think about this centurion uh, in, in kind of the, the terms of our army, where someone might be stationed in a certain area, and they're kind of chiving and jucking and trying to make their way to the top, right? i got to go serve my time over here so that I can get where I want. And, and to be honest, Capernaum would not have been uh, a desirable place for a centurion to, to be posted, right? He'd much rather be in Rome, at home, close to family. And, and also, y'all, 
the Israelites, they, they don't want anything to do with the centurion man, right? Uh, and so this uh, is kind of who this centurion is. Um, but clearly, he, he's got uh, some social sway, right? The, the people say that, they, they, that he's beloved of the Jews. Uh, so clearly, uh, he's made an impression on them. Uh, he was able to, to come up with resources to build them a synagogue. And so clearly, this is a man of power, right? This is a man that, that's got some cash flow. That would not have been uh, a cheap endeavor to, to build a synagogue for these people. And so we're starting to build a picture of who this centurion man is, right? He, he's uh, a man that's about business. He's in the military. He's got social political power. Uh, he comes from Rome. Uh, he's got access to cash, and even he's being, you know, kind of nice to these people. And so this brings to light an oddity. Uh, I mean, you don't have to dive super deep into history to understand the relationship between Rome and the Jewish people at this time, right? Like, like Eric, what do Rome and the Jewish people, are they seeing eye to eye? Do they? No. No, right? Rome and the Jewish people, they don't see eye to eye. The, the Jews, they're under Roman rule at this point, and they don't want to be. And, and so there's uh, an odd thing going on here where the, the, the Jewish people are saying, man, this guy, he, he's worthy uh, of you to come to him, Jesus, right? They're, they're sticking up for him. Uh, to see this Roman ruler uh, loving the people in such a way that he's building a synagogue. Like, this is unusual activity, right? Uh, this man is very unique. And when we look at some of the language, it gives us insight to his character. So, so we get an idea. We get a, a kind of a picture painted of who he is. But whenever we look at the very words of Scripture, we get uh, some insight to, to, to this man's character. It says that the, the elder Jews uh, interceded on his behalf instantly, right? Right here, if we go to the next slide, got it highlighted. It says that they besought him instantly, saying that he is worthy. And so we see that w- without any hesitation, without any consideration, th- these Jewish people are quick to intercede on behalf of this Roman official, right? And, and we see that the elders declare uh, him to be a worthy individual. That word worthy, uh, it, it speaks volumes, right? It speaks directly to this man's character, to his righteousness. So he's, a, he's a good man, and he's worthy of you, Jesus, to come to him uh, to perform on his behalf. And lastly, it says that he loveth our nation and built us a synagogue. And y'all, this speaks to his actions, right? This man is not just talking talk. He's walking the walk. He, he, he's loving them in such a way that they instantly, immediately, without hesitation, run to Jesus and say, hey, you got to help this guy out, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. And so it speaks to his actions, to his work. And, and I think it's fair for us to conclude that after looking at all these things, to say that this is a, he's a good dude, right? He's a good guy. But despite how good he is, this centurion is still in desperate need of God to do a work, right? Despite how, how, how good he is, he's not good enough, right? Uh, despite his morality, it doesn't fix the issues in his life, right? He still needs Jesus to come in and to do a work. And so this brings us to key point number one, and that is good works, your reputation, your social status, they hold no weight in God's economy. Whoa. Good works, your reputation, social status, they hold no weight in God's economy. 
The work of God in our lives requires the grace of God, period. That's it. And guys, like, I work in luxury jewelry. And so it's all, y'all, it's all about, you know, your reputation, your social status, even your, your good works. Y'all, we're constantly looking for, you know, these philanthropic people that are giving back in our society, because those are the people with money, you know. And so, oh, man, you know, this customer, he, he donated. Did you guys know that he donated 500000 to to this hospital, to this charity? And, and, you know, we'll get coworkers. I've got coworkers. We'll leverage this, you know, to say, oh, man, this guy's a good person, so he deserves to get this hard-to-get watch, you know. I just went to, to Rolex, and that's what they're all about. If you look at the things that that company is about, uh, they're finding, you know, philanthropic endeavors to, to give back to, right? They're finding uh, these the social elites to wear their watches. Like, this is the way, this is not how God's economy works, but this is definitely how uh, this worldly economy works, right? It's propped up by, by exploiting people's good works, their reputation, and their social status. And it holds no weight in God's economy. God's economy relies solely on the grace of God in our lives, right? And we don't have to look very far. I mean, uh, Isaiah 64, 6, right? It says, but we are all as unclean things. Your righteousness has no place here. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And all we do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Man, who cares about your reputation? Who cares about your good works? Who cares about your righteousness? The Bible tells me it's as filthy rags. Whoa! I love uh, Philippians 3, 4 through 11. Just, me and Lisa were just talking about this uh, last night. Um, and this is Paul speaking. And he's saying, man, if anybody could boast, God would be me. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If anybody has confidence in the flesh, right? If any other man thinketh that he hath uh, whereof he might trust in the flesh, he says, I am more. And then he starts listing off his pedigree, right? He says, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law. It's like, dude, I'm a Pharisee. As touching the law, I'm a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Hello, somebody. <laughs> touching the righteousness, uh, which is in the law. He says, blameless, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Whoa, What? Those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Whoa! And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Saying, hey, you see that pedigree, all these things? Forget about it. I consider them dung, right? If I might by any means attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And so, guys, like Paul, if any man could boast in his flesh, certainly the centurion could, 
right? And in the passage, we see that he doesn't even have to because everybody else is tooting his horn for him, right? These dudes are like, this guy's the bomb.com. He's worthy, Jesus. Oh, whoa. That, like, that sounds crazy. He is worthy, Jesus. It's like, no, no, he's not righteous. Uh, but if anybody in the flesh, certainly the centurion, he's proven himself. He, he, he loves God's people. He built them a synagogue. He, he's of upstanding character. He's got a great reputation. And so this is what they, they, they bring before Jesus. All right, this man's goodness, his righteousness. Uh, but despite all this, it left him in a desperate place where he needs Christ to intercede. That's where we find ourselves. Despite all this, his good works, no matter what he's doing, he still needs Christ to intercede in his life. And so do we, right? Whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved by grace through faith. But guess what? We keep living by grace through faith, right? We, we still need to rely on the grace of God in, in, in our lives, right? We can't continue to walk through the Christian life and think since we got saved, now we're going to be upstanding moral people that have good social status and, you know, that's how a lot of people live and operate their lives as a Christian. No. The work of God in our lives, even if we're saved, requires the grace of God. And, and if you don't know Jesus personally as your, as your Savior, right, I'm here to tell you that your works aren't good enough, right? That you living an upstanding moral life is not going to get you to heaven. I'm sorry if someone told you that, but it, it won't. We need to rely on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, on his sufficiency and not on our own. If that's foreign to you, man, please come up, talk to me, talk to, to whoever invited you. Uh, that's something that you desperately need to understand, right? <clears throat> so, uh, the people are interceding uh, and, and begging Christ. Wow, man, interceding and begging Christ. We need to be like these Jewish people. They're interceding, they're begging Christ because this is a, a righteous man, right? This is uh, a worthy man. And, and so now the question on the table is, well, what, what's Jesus going to do? Right? They, they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, he needs your help. And so is Jesus going to respond and help him? And you're like, of course he is. But you guys, you have to remember that the Romans are the enemies of the Jewish people at this time. Right? The, the Romans are the enemies of the Jewish people, and Jesus was their Messiah. Right? You're like, okay, yeah, okay. I still don't get where you're going. Jesus was their Messiah. And the Jews, they're looking for a Messiah to come and rescue them from the bondage of the Romans. Right? It's like, man, these people are oppressing us. And so they're looking for a Messiah that's going to come in and lead this political military coup on the whole Roman Empire and to get back what's ours, right? To, to usher in the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Jewish people are looking for in their Messiah. And so Jesus, going to this Roman centurion, a man that's a high-ranking official in the military that, that, that is very political, him going to him and healing his son, how does that fit into the ark of their Messiah? It doesn't, does it? So is, what's Jesus going to do? They're like, oh, man, yeah, what is he going to do? I mean, we can look in the passage, right? Jesus went with them immediately. But this is crazy. And again, this is really, really cool because we're seeing Jesus walk out and live the things that he was just teaching in, Rome, or in uh, Luke chapter 6, right? He said, love your enemy. And Jesus is like, cool, Romans need help, let's go love them. Oh, he's not just talking the talk, he's walking the walk. This is our Lord, this is our Jesus. 
So let's get eyes back on the text. Verse 6 says, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter my roof, wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. And so, fam, the, the, the story's starting to heat up, right? Jesus decides to, to exemplify his words and, and starts to, to walk to, to meet this man and uh, to, to love his enemy. And he sends out these messengers, his friends, it says. And they say, Jesus, hey, hey don't come up, right? Uh, you know, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. <clears throat> and uh, be, before we get there, uh, we see some things that should catch our attention, right? Uh, when we look and examine uh, the, the very words of the passage, uh, the language that the centurion is communicating, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give us cause for pause, right? Uh, and the very first word uh, that would lead us to pause is, is this huge four-letter word that he, he first mentions, right? Uh, L-O-R-D, Lord. Whoa, the, the very first words that come out of these messengers' mouth is Lord. And fam, this is a huge word. This is a word that will make you a new, a new creature. Right? This is a word that will change everything about you. Uh, the moment that you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, uh, man, it reorients your life to, to a completely different trajectory, right? And, and this is a big deal. Lord literally means master. It's a title of great honor. Uh, it's a, a title of great respect. And it would identify, uh, for the centurion, Jesus as Lord is placing him in subjection to Jesus, right? And who's Jesus? He's a Jew. He's a carpenter. You know, at this point, he's, you know, they're like, oh, this is just a cult leader or whatever. So for this high-ranking official of the Roman military, to position himself where he's saying, Lord, whoa, we begin to see his heart, right? He calls Jesus Lord, and this is a big deal. Uh, again, the gravity of the statement is huge. The centurion acknowledges that he's not worthy for Jesus to enter his home, so much so that he proclaims it again, neither thought I myself worthy. The centurion is acknowledging his state, and he's desperate and humble before Jesus, and he acknowledges him as Lord. And, and this brings us to key point number two, and that's that the work of God in our lives require humility and the acknowledgement of Christ as Lord. The work of God in our lives requires humility and the acknowledgement of Christ as Lord. Huge. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, you have to get to the point daily where you humble yourself, prostrate before the Lord, and call him Lord and actually mean it, right? That word holds a lot of weight, and when you say it, I mean, he's liable to hold you to your word. And so you better mean it, right? He just got done in Luke chapter 6 saying, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say, right? He takes it very seriously. It's offensive to him if you call him Lord, and then you're not even listening to him, right? I, I had the privilege to go to, to India in, in January, and we were teaching uh, a Bible survey. So we were teaching through uh, the, the first 17 books of the Old Testament. And I was privileged to be able to teach through First and Second Samuel. 
And that's the theme that we see through the, the entirety uh, of First and Second Samuel. In, in chapter 2, we see this beautiful prayer from Hannah. On verses 6 through 8, she says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive and bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. And we see this theme right here through the entirety of First and Second Samuel, right? And they're exemplified through the person of Saul and the person of David. In Saul, we see a very pride, proud man. Uh, who refuses to humble himself before the Lord, and, and ultimately it brings him to destruction. In David, we see a humble and a meek shepherd, and we see God exalt him to the king of Israel. And so what do we take away from this? It's that the Lord opposeth the proud, but he exalts the humble. And that should mean something to us, right? We need to constantly be in the place of the centurion where we're humbling ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledging him as Lord. In Matthew 23, verse 12, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes. Uh, and it, it very clearly says his disciples are present. And, and so the point here is that he's communicating this for everybody to hear, the multitudes and his disciples. And he says that whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. He requires meekness and humility before him. Right? This word Lord, it's a big word. In his sermon on the plain, Jesus rebukes the crowd, saying, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, do not the things which I say? Right? Jesus literally just got done laying this out for all the people to hear, right? That are proclaiming him to be Lord with their mouths, uh, but not believing it in faith. Um, like, I can't make this stuff up. It, the, the Bible is so perfect in how it lays itself out. It's incredible. And here, we meet this Gentile that exemplifies the very words of God, right? When we look at his life, when we look at his character, uh, he loves his enemies. It's clear that he loves his Jewish people. That's why they're coming to Jesus on his behalf, right? He's charitable, and, and he's giving and being merciful to them. He built them a synagogue, right? It's crazy. Uh, but maybe even more impressive than, than all of these things is that he has complete faith in the words of Jesus. Right? He's got complete faith in the words of Jesus. And he says, hey, don't come to me. He says, I know that you being a rabbi, if you were to enter my house as a Gentile, he says, I know that would make you unclean and I wouldn't have it. Right? He says, don't, don't enter my home. I'm not worthy. Right? He, he humbles himself. I'm not worthy, Jesus, that you would even come to me. Uh, I don't want to make you unclean, Master. He says, just say the word and my servant shall be healed. And this brings us to key point number three, and that's that the work of God in our lives requires complete faith in the word of God, right? And this is what, what, what Sam was just preaching. We don't want to be Bible believers conceptually, but we want to be Bible believers actually. Literally, one of Sam's key points is we need to get full of faith that God's word is enough for everything. Not some things, for everything. We need complete faith in the word of God. Right, and, and the centurion said, uh, "If you just say the word, my servant shall be healed." He doesn't say that if you say the word, 
then my, my servant might be healed, right? He doesn't say, if you say the word, then my servant could be healed. He says it with certainty. If you say the word, my servant, he shall be healed, right? And this reminds us of other texts, right? Uh, we see the same certainty displayed in passages like Romans chapter 10, verse 13, right? Where it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. No, shall be saved. There's great certainty there. Shall be saved. And you might be thinking, yeah, well, I've professed Christ as Lord. That's great. Why do you call him Lord, Lord, and not do the things he says? Cool. Pat you on your back. That's not what he's concerned with. He wants you to actually live in a way that demonstrates that he is the Lord of your life. Right? He's calling you to greater faith. And so the centurion said, for I am... Uh, also am a man set under authority, uh, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And this reminds me, actually, of just a, a great uh, quotation that Sam mentioned in the first pa- uh, service uh, that, that Warren Wearsby spoke, right, uh, about the, the military. And he's saying that, man, if we were to operate and, and spiritually, uh, as people in the military operate physically, man, what exploits God w- would do with his church, right? And, and this centurion, he is in the military, and so he's like, oh, yeah, I, I get how this works. I'm in the military, too. So I have an understanding of what subjection means. I have an understanding of what lordship means. And so if I say this, my, my guys, they do that. If I say, go over there, they go over there. If I say, you know, Fetch me coffee. They, they fetch me coffee. And so if you're Lord, then you just say the words and it's going to happen like that. Right? That's how this lordship thing works. I understand. Man, if we took that understanding and actually, like the centurion is like, oh, yeah, I, I know how this works worldly. So if I'm going to be a good member of, of the military, then it's going to require these things of me. And so I'm just going to translate that to, to being a good servant of Christ and it's going to operate the same way. Man, what if we actually did that, you know? I don't know about you, maybe, maybe you guys, you know, maybe you just show up to work late, and then you're, you're not faithful with your, like, maybe that's how you live life. But man, if we were actually living life for Christ as a faithful servant, as a faithful steward, in a way that the centurion is displaying, hey, I get how this works with my job, and so why wouldn't I translate that uh, to, to respect Jesus Christ all the more, right? See, he, st- uh, he understood lordship. And it required Jesus, right? He required a Lord. It required directions and simple obedience, which we find here, directions and simple obedience. And fam, we have, you know, directions. It's so clear. Like, I don't know how we can miss it, right? We're literally up here singing and calling Jesus Christ Lord, right? And so the passage begs us, is Jesus actually your Lord? Is that actually a reality where you can say, man, I'm calling him Lord. Well, okay, do you mean it, you know? Do you do the things that he says? And in verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, it says that he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house, found a servant whole that had been sick. Man, how incredible is that, right? Uh, I love this. 
Jesus heard the testimony of this individual, and the Bible says that Jesus marveled. Whoa, did you know that, that you can make Jesus marvel? That's incredible. He saw it's this man, right? He, he saw the testimony of this man. It says that, that Jesus marveled. And in the text, it doesn't say that this centurion met Jesus face to face and he, and he experienced this really incredible thing. No, he, he relied on the reputable testimonies of Jesus, right? We never see him interact with Jesus face to face in Luke chapter 7. He relied on the reputable testimonies of Jesus and he chose to put his faith and it made Jesus marvel, right? Just like you and me. The only other time we see Jesus marvel uh, is in uh, a passage in Mark chapter 6. Uh, so as we look through the Gospels, there are only two um, accounts that, that causes Jesus to marvel. So whenever I find, you know, Jesus marveling, like that's a huge, whoa, Jesus can marvel at stuff? Where else in the Bible does it say that? So if you wouldn't mind turning with me to Mark chapter 6, we're going to get eyes uh, on the other instance in Jesus' ministry uh, where it causes him to, to marvel. <clears throat> if we pick it up in verse 5, Mark chapter 6, verse 5, it says... And he, this is Jesus, right, could there do no mighty work. Oh, this is a bad beginning. It says that Jesus couldn't do a mighty work. So Jesus could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Which, that's not mighty work for Jesus. He just laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed You guys caught that, right? He couldn't do any mighty works. He just had to, to heal people with his hands. No big deal. Oh, man. Uh, and it says that he, this is Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. And it says that he went roundabout villages teaching. And so here uh, in the, the book of Mark 6, 5 through 6, uh, we see the other account of Jesus marveling in the Gospels. And it's due to their unbelief. And the worst part is that their unbelief, it stunts the work of Jesus in that place. Because of their unbelief, it stunts the work of Jesus in that place. And so you got really excited when I said, did you know that, that Jesus can marvel at you? Right? We're like, oh man, Jesus can marvel at us. Yeah, he can marvel at you because of your unbelief or because of your belief. Which one is it going to be? because of your unbelief, and it's going to stunt the work of Jesus Christ in your life, in this ministry, in Kansas City, God forbid, or because of belief on the Lordship of Christ and his word, the power of his word. <clears throat> in Mark, we see almost an exact opposite account uh, as he ministers amongst the Jews. Uh, and, and family, God called us to become his children. It's so special. And, and he's given us his word, his Holy Spirit, his body. Uh, Jesus has called us to go into the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And this is a really simple request. It's a really simple request. But due to unbelief, 
Jesus' own people. This is the Jewish people that he's going to in Mark chapter 6. Because of their unbelief, his work is hindered there. But in this account, we see the simple faith of one man. That the word of Jesus cannot, you know, that the word of Jesus can save, right? And not only does it, like, it, it produces fruit. And, and if you guys go back in Luke chapter 6, he's giving this analogy of trees and how we can tell a tree by its fruit. And we see the fruit of this centurion uh, by the work of God in his life, right? There's fruit. There's results. And it left the creator of the universe marveling at this man's faith. <clears throat> it's really, really interesting. So if you look at the context of the book of Luke as a whole, who wrote Acts? Um, it says that he's writing this to Theophilus. And this is a man that's desiring to understand, basically, how did, what we're learning in Acts, how did uh, this Jewish-centric, you know, faith get extended to Gentiles? You know, Theophilus is this Gentile trying to understand, like, how did this happen? So we see Luke writing this account, and, and we see that it's through God's grace extended, right? And we see that this is his heart from the very beginning. We see it in moments like this, right? Uh, me and, and Lisa had eyes on uh, Luke chapter 4, I think it's two weeks ago. Uh, and one of the cool things that happens in Luke chapter 4 is it's right after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, after he's being tempted. And he goes into Galilee, right? His home church, his home synagogue to the Jewish people. And he starts teaching, and he, t- he teaches out of Isaiah 61. Uh, and I'm going to turn there. It's actually really cool. <clears throat> Isaiah, Jeremiah. Okay, 61, verses 1 through, C- through 3. This is what he's preaching. If you go back to Luke 4, you'll, you'll see that. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to blind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he pauses there. That's where he stops, right? If we're looking at Luke chapter 4, Jesus, he's teaching on this passage, and he stops right there. And then he, he starts saying that this day is that prophecy fulfilled. And people are like, well, who is this guy? Uh, and, and what really bugs and irks the people is that he didn't continue, right? Uh, because in him stopping there, he, he's leaving out the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might call the tree of righteousness planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. But he he stops there right before it talks about this day of vengeance. And instead, if you look at Luke chapter 4, he starts talking about his heart towards the Gentile people. And and he he gives reference to Elijah, right? And uh, the, um, uh, the people that Elijah visited uh, during that, that time, um, 
whenever there, there was a drought, right? And, and how he didn't stay with, with the, the Jewish people, but he was visiting uh, someone else. He, he references Elisha, uh, and he says, hey, you know, uh, whenever uh, Naaman, the, the Syrian officer, whenever he was a leper, he said, there's tons of lepers in the days of Elisha, but which one did he heal? Oh, yeah, he, he healed the Gentile one. So Jesus is saying to these people, and they're not having it. It says that they, they wanted to kill him after that, right? They're like, dude, what are you talking about, you know? <clears throat> uh, but we see that God works in our lives by grace through faith, and, and God never lacks grace. And, guys, this has been his heart from the beginning. It's uh, to, to reach the world. And we see this exemplified uh, through, through the whole of Scripture. Uh, and, man, I would love, again, to take you uh, to 2 Kings chapter 5 so you could see this testimony uh, of Naaman. Because Naaman, guys, uh, he is a military political officer that's a Gentile, right? Just like the, the centurion man. And he's in this desperate situation where, you know, unless God moves, there's no hope. And just like the centurion man, he's a good dude. You know, the, the, the Bible, the passage uh, calls him, uh, chapter 5, calls him a, a man of valor, right? Um, and it goes on to just give all these words expressing uh, the character, the righteousness of this man, Naaman. And, and despite all of that, uh, he's still in this desperate bind where unless God moves, there's no hope. And so in this passage in Second Kings 5, if you look at verses 1 through 19, uh, you see that there's no hope for him. Uh, but there's this, this Israelite woman, right? And she says, man, you know, you, you guys got to see what's happening in Israel, Right? Uh, there's this dude named Elisha, and it's getting real out there. This dude's performing miracles. He, the word of the Lord is going forth. And so it's so bad that the king of Syria sees this. That's how high up the, the, this official is. And he says, okay, go, go to Israel uh, to, to find a solution. And so the, this woman goes to, to Israel. They, they send Naaman there with letters from the king of Syria uh, looking for healing. And Elisha's like, okay, send them to me. Send them to me. And Elisha says, never sees him face to face. He just sends messengers to him and says, hey, if you go dip in the water seven times, you'll be healed, right? So this Gentile man, that's an official, relies on the interceding of this Hebrew, of this, of this Israelite woman. And she, he receives word from the man of God at this time, never seeing him face to face. And by simply putting his faith in those words and actually going and dipping seven times, albeit begrudgingly, right? He's like, dude, this guy can't even see me face to face. He says, there are cleaner rivers in Damascus. Why would I, I wash myself in this filth of the Jordan River? Because he's looking for something crazy and incredible. But guys, the point here is that it's so simple. It's just said, hey, believe in my word and, and just dip yourself seven times. And, and you know, he's, he, it says that he's all riled up and that he's about to go home. And then his servant points out, like, hey, if he told you to do something crazy, you'd probably do it. 
But since this is such a simple thing, you refuse to do it, it doesn't even make sense. He's like, okay, you're right. And so he goes. <laughs> and he obeys this word of the Lord. He dips seven times and he's healed, right? We see this incredible parallel passage uh, that, again, Luke chapter 4 is pointing us to in Second Kings. But guys, it's simple. That's the point, is it's simple. We're looking for, for it to be this complicated, crazy thing. But God wants us to just follow in simple obedience, to understand him as Lord, to have complete faith on his word, and to live it out. And so some of you, you're here, uh, and you don't know Jesus personally uh, as Lord and Savior. And so the, the call to you is, man, you need to figure that out. Do you see Jesus? Do you see his power to save? Do you see his heart for all people? That man, he bled and died on a cross to win your soul because he loves you. And he wants you to have the, the life that, that he lost, right? But it doesn't end there because he rose again. And so we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ because uh, he conquered and defeated sin and death. That's our Lord, right? And so some of you, you don't know that story, and that doesn't mean anything to you personally. And I'm telling you right now that you need to know that story, and you need to figure it out. Because just like this man, man, like that'll change your life. Uh, but some of you, man, you've been attending church for a while. You, you, you're a believer. You, you profess Jesus to be Lord. And you still hear that ringing in the back of your head. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say, right? This centurion man, he submitted to Jesus as Lord. And what did that look like? It looked like him having complete faith on the word of God. And so that's a call for all of us, to have complete faith on the word of God. But how can you know the word of God if you're not in it, right? It's right here. But if you aren't getting your nose in this book, there's no way for you to follow in obedience to it. And so my call to you would be to join my Bible study because there's room, right? But, but honestly, y'all, we need to, to know this book, to call him Lord, Lord, and then to actually believe on his very words and not just allow it to be words that we hear, but like words that, that, that move us and provoke us to action, we need to actually have faith in this, that it has the power to save, because it does, right? We're just in Acts 13, and we learn about rejection. Man, these people, they didn't want to hear that word. What's the solution? Sow more seeds, right? Like, let's have faith that this can actually transform Kansas City, the lives of our coworkers, the lives of the people that we're in class with, right? I'm so desperate. I'm like that centurion. I'm so desperate for God to move, right? And so should you. Let's humble ourselves, profess him to be Lord, and actually believe on the power of his word, okay? Uh, I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you, and the worship team is going to come up. Um, guys, if you need to respond to this message, uh, if you realize that you've been going through the motions and calling him Lord, uh, but not move for, move, moving forward in obedience, please come right. It's, it's worthwhile to be right with God. I think of Hannah's testimony of discipleship. It's so much better to be right with God than right with man, right? She had the opportunity to be right with God today, right now. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you that your word is alive and it's exciting 
and it, it speaks to the things of our life, Lord. Uh, I thank you for the heart of Jesus and for his grace uh, that, that just goes beyond comprehension. Uh, the fact that his heart is for all people, including me, uh, that brings me so, so just great joy. And Lord, I pray uh, that people could know that and live in, in light of that reality. Uh, Lord, your, your word is powerful and it saves and it heals, Lord. And I thank you for that. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.